may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and this is my co-host. Allie. And we are here today, sadly, without Wendy, because Wendy has moved to Texas. She abandoned us for Austin and its awesomeness. What the heck? I know, right? She's, uh, she's all happy ugh. and stuff. And, and the weather's nice, and there's good food, and ugh. I know, right? Uh, she must be, like, slathering herself in barbecue sauce. and She's going to miss the snow. No, she's no, not. She's not. <laughs> so uh, just tonight, uh, it's just uh, myself and Allie, and it will be for uh, the next episode as well. And then we're going to get other uh, co-hosts with us after uh, these these next two episodes. So we figured we'd fly solo a couple times yeah. and see how it goes. And uh, also because, you know, timing is short because I'm also going to Texas for yeah, a couple what, weeks. What is with you guys? Everybody's leaving me to go to Austin. You guys are so mean. <laughs> well, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You better. I'll be back for the snow. Ugh. Unless it, you know, snows in late September, which is something we do not well, want. Yeah, but yeah, not, not unheard happen. of. <laughs> could, could happen. Could happen. So anyway, we are here today to watch our first Hitchcock on this podcast. Ah! I know, right? We're going to watch Shadow of a Doubt. I'm excited. 1943. Um, this was a movie that was made a few years after Hitchcock first came to America. Um, he started filming movies um, in the silent era. So he had a good long career by this point and a very established career in Britain. But then he met up with David O. Selznick, who brought him over to America. And in 1940, he made a little movie called Rebecca, which was kind of this gothic thriller and uh that was the only hitchcock film to get nominated for best picture so he got off the ground running in america yeah, yeah. and uh so this is one of his very well-known 1940s films excellent yes uh the thing to know about this movie is it features a certain actor named joseph cotton I've I've never heard of this person. Have you never what? Have you never heard of Joseph Cotton? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear listeners, if you're not familiar with Joseph Cotton, uh, don't feel bad actually, because he was he was kind of an actor's actor. You know, yeah. he he was in a ton of, of movies, but he, oftentimes as a leading man, because he wasn't a character actor. Yeah, he he was just kind of an everyman guy. Yeah, he he's just kind of Mister Joe Ordinary yeah. whenever he shows up, which was his great strength. But he he came to fame. Uh, one of his first movies was Citizen Kane, yep. because he came to fame right along with Orson Welles because he was one of Orson Welles's radio players. And so all of them just kind of <laughs> got introduced in Citizen Kane and their careers were off and running. So yeah, this was like uh, a few years after Citizen Kane. And uh, so one of uh, Cotton's earlier films and this role is very atypical for him, which is why I like to show it to people. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I like it. Atypical. Yeah. It, it's interesting going into this film knowing that, you know, Joseph Cotton is kind of playing against type, but he's also using the type that he's known for to his advantage. But there are other very notable people in this movie, too, to watch. 
Like who? Hume Cronin. Oh my god! I know, right? <laughs> it's my boyfriend. <laughs> this is Hume Cronin's first movie. Oh, baby's first he's, movie. He's so, he's so adorable. Oh, oh you'll, oh, dear listeners, if you've never seen this, you'll love him. Oh my you'll gosh. love him. You'll love him. So we are going to go off and watch Shadow of a Doubt and talk more about it later. <laughs> you should track it down and watch it. And we're back. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that a hell of a thing? Oh, my God. It was beautiful. <laughs> oh. I, I have so much fun with that movie. It's so much. Oh, I'm just blown away. I loved it so much. <laughs> it was it was my thing. It was my jam. And I didn't even know it was going to be my jam. I'm like, okay, it's Hitchcock. I like Hitchcock. Hitchcock's cool. And then, no, I was just like, and I love this. And I love this. And I love all of this. <laughs> it's everything I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> oh, goodness. I, I love Hitchcock in this era just because he he has such a knack for ha- that movies had a certain feel in this era. They're mm. they're kind of stilted, you know. Mm. They're very kind of formal in the way the acting works and all that. And Hitchcock movies kind of follow that same mold, and then they they take a left turn down the street every once in a while, and they go down the well. Yes, <laughs> just every once in a while, you get right down the the rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. There are certainly a couple of uh, scenes that do that in here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just, I'm so speechless. And that's not good because I'm supposed to be podcasting about this movie. And I'm just like, but, um, uh, wow. Well, I mean, part of of the joy of this podcast is it is our immediate reaction to these movies. Yes. Because listeners, literally, we do turn off the the recording, we go watch the movie, and we come right back. Yeah. Like, we have a pee break, and that's it. Yeah, I have not organized my thoughts. I've just had a couple of sips of wine, and I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The characters in this movie were fantastic. Aren't they fun? Every one of them. Even the kids. And I usually don't like kids in this era. It's very hard to write good roles for kids and get them to act naturally. Mm-hmm. And while I certainly don't think that this was the most natural acting I've ever seen from no. a child, it was still done well, in, and I enjoyed it. Yes. They they played their bits very well. So to even be like, and I liked the children, was, was a shock <laughs> to me. The, the, the kids' roles are so exaggerated too I yes. mean, like the 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 young girl with her books reading Ivanhoe yes <laughs> what are you reading Ivanhoe, Ivanhoe. <laughs> really father I'm practically a child and I don't even read those things speaking of his crime crime novels or whatever it was that he was reading oh god his magazines and Hume Cronin would just randomly wander oh in and discuss how to kill the father I know. character I was just like what what is his purpose in this movie I'm not Sure, and which really threw me off because I kept waiting for it to. Okay, for most of it, I'm like, okay, this is just a setup for every single episode of Alfred Hitchcock's Presents ever. Oh, yeah, I was waiting for like the one where well, you hit somebody with a slab of frozen meat, and then you create the the you make the dinner with the meat, and then the evidence is gone, which was an excellent episode, and I loved it. Oh yeah. Um, 
But I was just like, okay, so so where are they going to give the idea of how to kill this guy? And it never happens. The whole movie, I kept going, okay, when is this going to... It never does. It, I love that. Yeah, it, it's only... It, it pretty much only serves as a hint to what Charlie's been up to because... Well, Uncle Charlie has yes, been up to. Uncle Charlie, as because, opposed to young Charlie. Yeah, as opposed to young Charlie. Um, because... The movie plays coy with what he actually did until very late in the movie. Yeah. Because, you know, he's kind of set up as a gangster. Yeah. And, you know, you see him in a pool hall and all that. Yeah. It's like a eh, crime, but you never latch on that he's a murderer. Yeah. No, I figured he, like, late. stole money because he, you know, he talks about, oh, yeah, money. I don't really care much about it. And I've just got loose cash. And I'm like, okay, he steals money. He's an embezzler or he's just a con man. Like, Totally thinking it was going to be financial. And then you see the headline. And I'm like, oh, shit. It got real. <laughs> it got real, real fast. Like, oh, that my was, God. Serial a, killer. <gasps> that was a beautiful slow burn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so much yeah. fun. So, dear listeners, if you did not see this movie, you should. Just stop listening you and really go should. watch this movie. I'm not going to help you with this one. Yeah, it, 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 it's easy to get your hands on it. it. It's Hitchcock. Pretty much every Hitchcock is... Every Hitchcock that can get their hands on is on DVD somewhere. Yes. At the very least. But, you know, very quick rundown. You've got this family in a small town. Yeah, they're they're in uh, Santa Rosa, California. Yes. Just kind of your, your quaint American small town in the 1940s. And the young daughter is named after her Uncle Charlie, who has been long gone. And Uncle Charlie is out on in Jersey, like goddamn Jersey, <laughs> in, in the pool halls of Jersey. And he's, you see him, you know, being chased down by mysterious men in the street. Like he's in trouble with the law. He's being investigated for something. You don't know what. And, the nice thing is that yeah. that setup is they make, you're not sure if he's run afoul of the law or if he's right. run afoul of like the mob. Right. So you think he could be a good person That's at true. the start of this movie, which really, I, I enjoyed that a lot. It It is nice. Especially because it's Joseph Cotton. So you're just like, of course he's a good person. Well, yeah, he's, he's Joseph he's, Cotton. He's Joe Average. <laughs> Joseph Cotton can't be evil. No. No, not at all. So, you know, to get away from whoever's pursuing him, he travels out to California to stay with the family who adores him. Yes. And, and you can see him working his charms on, on these small town people who, you know, believe he's in business and he's, mm-hmm. I don't know, famous. He's got money. We don't know what he does, but he, he's in business. He's mysterious. <laughs> we love this. Yeah. And so, like, the entire town is He's, like, excited. the most excited thing that's happened to the town in apparently, like, decades or something. Because everybody, like, the man comes into town and then immediately, we want to interview him. Can he come speak at our women's club? <laughs> Okay, guys. I'm sorry about your lives. You are some boring people. (laughs) Some very bored people. Yes. This is what life was like pre-internet. Yes. So, so yeah. We had cat pictures. Yeah. And so there's this long burn with him staying at the house, and his namesake Charlie, who adores him, slowly starts catching on something's not right with her uncle, and something not right being, hey, he's a serial killer, and be chased down. By the law. Yeah. At first she thinks it's just like some some little funny thing that he's just embarrassed by. And then yeah. and she starts catching on. And like the the part I love best about young Charlie is she's so damn smart. Yeah. Love that. You don't 
see that as often as you should in films of that era i think well there are smart women but yeah there there are three women well three girl females in the movie and like one is pretty much dumb as a box of rocks i love the mother but she is so daffy she's so daffy she she is out there but a young charlie and uh anna the the young girl they're both they're smart as whips yes very very smart yeah and and it's fun watching the cat and mouse game between young Charlie and Uncle Charlie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. And and it's very much a theme of you destroy the thing you love because Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It you know, even when young Charlie figures out what her uncle has been up to, she is still kind of cuz he's family. Yeah. The love doesn't go away, but she knows the right thing is to do him in, to to yeah. turn him in. Yeah. Yeah. She she's she makes that effort to to try to turn him over to the law, and when she can't, mm-hmm. I mean, she she turns to him and says, "I'll kill you myself." Yeah, like, she is. She's like, "You are bad. You are just evil, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you're irredeemable. You, I, somebody has to do something about you, and oh, yeah. it's gonna have to be me, apparently. So <laughs> I'm just gonna flat out tell you: if you don't leave, I will find a way to kill you." <laughs> she means business <laughs> or, or, or when she comes to after being rescued from the garage she, go away go. <laughs> oh bless her uh, the young lady who uh, plays Charlie is a young actress named Teresa Wright who is the only actor in history who was nominated for three Oscars for all three of her first films. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Did not know this. Yeah, like she debuted and had two more movies in the same year and she was nominated for Oscars for all three of them. Wow. And this is her fourth movie, so this is the first movie she wasn't nominated for an acting Oh my gosh. She should have been. Yeah, she she She, had... She had some tough competition that year, I'm assuming. I I really don't know. uh, Not offhand, anyway. Okay. This was uh, 1943, but yeah, she... She was also the youngest actor to get three acting nominations until Jennifer Lawrence came along. Wow. Yeah. So she she had this super stellar career for a very short period of time. Uh, she was, um, I think, I think she was with MGM. She had an MGM contract and she did like five movies under her MGM contract. Only one of them actually for MGM because she kept getting loaned out. Like this one was with Universal. Mm-hmm. But um Stellar career, like one after another, you know, she debuted in Little Foxes and uh, she did like Mrs. Miniver and Pride of the Yankees. And she was just in this amazing lineup of films. And then her contract ended and she went freelance and she didn't have quite a stellar of a career after that. Not like, you know, like huge, Mm. huge movies that she started out with, but she... Kind of went on as a freelance agent on her own for a while. She returned to the stage. She went into TV, did a bunch of TV in the 60s and 70s. Uh, she was like, I can't remember when The Rainmaker came out with Matt Damon, oh, but yeah. she was a landlady in The Rainmaker. Oh! Yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Long career. Yeah. Long career. But uh, yeah, her her big thing was the stage, and she debuted... Her first play when she moved to New York was a little play called Our Town. Oh, oh, okay. Was that all? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So she was in Our Town and um, she married a playwright, uh, Niven Bush, who was the guy who wrote Duel in the Sun. So her her big thing was kind of the stage. But, you know, she, for a short while, she was, she had this amazing movie career. Um, Speaking of Our Town, this movie was written... By three people, one of them being Thornton Wilder, who wrote Our Town. 
how that works which is which is very interesting because it definitely taps very heavily into that small town feel yeah yeah um and you know that that wholesome goodness and then you've got uncle charlie coming in with that yeah darkness mm-hmm. and polluting that undercurrent is yeah so good yeah i love when you can tell that a playwright has had their hand in a film or mm-hmm. if it's or if it's adapted from a play mm-hmm. there's certain films that you just watch like, Many times I saw films that I didn't realize had been plays before I saw them. Mm-hmm. Doubt being one of them. And I, I remember oh. watching Doubt and going, this looks like it was shot. F- like, this looks like it's just set up for a play. Yeah. And then, you know, realizing, oh, it was a play. And I love that. I yeah. love when you see that influence in film. Very, very stagey. Yes. Yeah. Even though... Um, Shadow of a Doubt was not originally a play. It, yes. It's definitely the product the of hand. playwrights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I said it was written by three people. One of the others was Sally Benson, who wrote Meet Me in St. Louis. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, she also wrote Anna and the King of Siam, which is, of course, is the same story as mm-hmm. The King and I. And uh, uh, she also did a little film noir called No Man of Her Own with Barbara Stanwyck, which we're going to have to visit at Absolutely. some point. I know, right? But uh, yeah, she was she was a uh, writer for The New Yorker. But, you know, once again, you know, as the author of Meet Me in St. Louis, she lent that mm. small town nostalgia yeah. to the film. The third writer was Alma Revel. Now, those of you who don't know your Hitchcock, Alma Revel was Hitchcock's wife. And Alma had her hands in pretty much every Hitchcock film. She was his strongest collaborator. Um, She script doctored almost everything he ever worked on. Um, She was a film editor during the silent era when uh, Hitchcock was just starting, you know, starting Uh to work. And like, originally she was his boss. Ching. <laughs> yeah, she Alma Revel was kind of a force of nature, really. She she was heavily influential in Hitchcock's work for all of his life. Um, she did she did script continuity. She did a lot of writing. She'd uh, you know pretty much vet all of his projects before he took anything on. So you know, of course, she had her hands in this. Yes, <laughs> uh, dear listeners, if you've ever if you've ever seen the movie Hitchcock, which came out a couple of years ago, she was played by Helen Mirren. Yes. So you know that kind of gives you a hint of how much of a badass she was. Yeah. 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 By the way, the the movie Hitchcock takes a lot of liberties with you know the biography of Hitchcock and Alma Revel, but it's a fun movie to watch. <laughs> anyway. So Hitchcock himself, by the time he made this, his career was about 20 years old. He was a veteran filmmaker by this point. And uh, like I said in the intro, he uh, had pretty recently come to America and started making movies. This movie comes in between um, a movie called Saboteur, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Involves people hanging off the Statue of Liberty and all sorts of stuff, you know. A fun little spy movie. (laughs) And then immediately after this, he made a little movie called Lifeboat which takes place entirely on a rowboat in the middle of the ocean. Oh, lovely. <laughs> it's Oh, I'm going to have to find that one. Oh, that one's a treat. Yay. That one's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I could I could talk all night about Hitchcock, but I feel <laughs> like he's fairly well known. <laughs> if, if you don't know who Hitchcock is, I just don't know what to tell you. Well, you know, we're probably going to come back and visit him again. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's that's not negotiable. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the beautiful thing about Hitchcock is that he, he 
directs films that can be considered high art, but they're also very accessible. They're very accessible. Yeah. They're very easy to watch. They're very entertaining. You know, he mm-hmm. he was a very populist filmmaker. Yeah. You know, he loved making films that entertain people. Yeah. That was his primary thing. But the way he constructs a movie, the way he shoots a movie is really, truly remarkable and very subtle. There were so many shots in this film that I just, <laughs> Melissa would laugh at me because I would just sit there and go, oh. <laughs> I would get chills. They're just, it was so pretty and so well done. And the score fit with everything that was going oh, on. The, the Dimitri Tompkins score is amazing. There's a scene in the beginning where the, the two men are following Uncle Charlie and the music start, it, it matches the men's pace. The beats are with the footsteps and it speeds up as they start running. And I was just like, yes, oh, yeah. this is the best. <laughs> yeah, his, his score is amazing. And he, he's he's intentionally lifting parts of the score from uh, the Mary Whittle Waltz. Yes. Which is uh, from a an operetta called The Merry Widow by France. Oh, I'm going to... France Lehar. Oh, the, yeah. the, the mother in the movie actually misidentifies the composer. Yes, she does. <laughs> but um, if, you, if you're familiar with that music, you can hear it coming into the score every once in a while in like a minor key and it gets a little yeah. and, and they And the best part is they never say what it is. They, they yeah. lay it out and as he's about... As, as Charlie is about to say what the waltz is called, young Charlie... Uncle Charlie knocks a glass over mm-hmm. and everything gets interrupted and they never come back and say what it was. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so subtle. It's like, if you know what it's called, oh, I get it. And if you mm-hmm. didn't... It's like this hint that can pass you by. <laughs> yes. It's, I love the layers. The layers in this film are fun. But oh, it so doesn't good. make you guess at anything, really. I mean, you, you yeah. sit there in suspense, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But then it, it doesn't leave you going, but what was that? There's no. never anything, and so many films that I that I really enjoy do leave those, but what the hell was that thing that I, but you didn't address that. And that's what I love about Hitchcock. There's never that. Yeah, he's There's never. nothing left over that you didn't get, unless, unless yeah. you actually, like, catastrophically missed something. Right. There's nothing there that wasn't explained to you. It, oh, he, he leaves everything, well, he doesn't leave everything out on the surface, but he doesn't leave things open-ended yeah it's all tied up yeah neatly yeah he he likes being very clear with where the the story was going now there's always ways you can dig down into what the film is really about right you know there there are some very elaborate interpretations of a lot of his films Mm -hmm. but i mean you can always just take it on the surface level and have a perfectly entertaining exactly that's and that's what i mean it's just just enjoying it on the surface level is is good there's like when we were watching um, Touch of Evil, yeah. some of that was like, what the, what did, but. Okay. What are you up to, Wells? God damn it. <laughs> damn it, Wells. Damn it. Ugh. I mean, I knew what I was getting into, but damn it, Wells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he liked being obtuse sometimes. Yes. And Hitchcock just, he, he, he liked just kind of laying the surface stuff all out there yeah. for you to see. Yeah, there's there's more you can dig into, but you you don't have to. If you want to, you know, shut your brain off, you can. <laughs> right. Right. In this one in particular, I love how it's fairly straightforward for most of it. And then when it starts picking up momentum, yeah. when you learn Uncle Charlie's a murderer, then it starts going, here's Hitchcock. 
Here's yes. the Hitchcock you yes. love. Oh yes. You start getting the 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 shots with the long shadows and the bizarro. Yes. It's like where and is that light coming from? And that's really the first, <laughs> the first long shadow shot is when she sees the news clip paper clipping about the Mary Widow murderer. Yeah. And then she's in the library. This shot just oh, blew me away. The light is coming in. The library is closed and mm-hmm. she's been allowed to come in and, and read these newspapers. And so there's light coming in from outside and it's just street lights and it's just illuminating her and she's walking into the shadow and her shadow is long and cast against the wall and she's just despondent. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful shot. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those famous Hitchcock zoom pullouts. So it yes. starts on her and it just pulls up to the ceiling. So you just get more and more of the library around her as, you know, this it, empty it just desolate library. And you, you get another one of those later in the movie when she finds the ring again. She yes. comes down the stairway and, and the camera starts from far away and it just zooms in right on her hand moving down the banister. Mm-hmm. And that that's a very Hitchcock thing. He loved those zooms in and zoom out. Mm-hmm. That really, really dramatic. There's a famous one in Notorious where, which I believe was a few years after this, if I remember right, there's this famous shot where Hitchcock starts at the ceiling and you can see this entire ballroom from the ceiling and it zooms in very, very, very slowly until the only thing you can see is a key in Ingrid Bergman's hand. <laughs> but it, it's a shot that lasts for a couple minutes and it's super, super slow, but it just zooms right in on our hands. I love that stuff. And yeah, it, Hitchcock loves stuff like that. <laughs> Hitchcock <laughs> speaks to me on a personal level that uh, I didn't realize, like really realize that I loved. <laughs> he He's so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And how great is Joseph Cotton? Oh my gosh! Oh my oh, god! I'll never really be able to watch a Joseph Cotton film the same way again. I'm always going to think of this, and that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. He's just—he's so—he starts out so everyman. I mean, you can tell there's something off. Like I said, I thought he was a con man at first. Yeah. Like that, and I'm like, okay, well, he's just. He's a con man, but there are plenty of con men in film that are actually, you know, nice people. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they will also steal money from people. But it just, as he starts getting more and more sinister, it just, he makes your skin crawl. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. I enjoyed it so, oh, the, I remember the first time seeing this. I'd already seen Citizen Kane and a bunch of other stuff he'd been in and, um, as I was telling Allie when the recording was off, I actually took a class in college that was just Hitchcock. Like, I'd show up for class, we'd watch a Hitchcock movie, and write papers about it, and the same thing would happen next week, and it was glorious. And the first time I ever saw this film was in that class. And knowing Joseph Cotton from his other movies and then seeing this was just astounding. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love how... He has this style of acting where it's just really straightforward. It's mm-hmm. like, he's he's just like one of those guys off the street who just happens to be able to deliver a line. He's very easy. Yeah, he, he's just kind of relaxed. And then you get into these, like halfway through the movie, you get that weird monologue at the dinner table where the he, he gets that super close up. And, you can see his pores. It's oh, great. And then he turns to the camera and looks straight at the camera and you just about jump out of your oh, skin. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Oh, 
Oh, they're not really people. Oh my God. Don't look at me when you say that. Oh. Are they? Are they? I don't know. I don't know anymore. Please stop looking at me so intensely. Oh, oh Joseph. God, why? It's great. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Poor man never got an acting nomination. Oh. Teresa Wright took them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh. Yeah, this was actually really early in his career. You know, he'd he'd done Citizen Kane at this point, which is pretty much where he started. He'd done Magnificent Ambersons, mm-hmm. and he'd done Journey into Fear, which we're going to have to visit at some point when I can get my hands on it. Absolutely. But um, that was pretty much it. There were a couple other movies. This was maybe five movies in okay. to his career. Um, he started with Citizen Kane, which is, a, you know, a strong starting point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, how that happened was, um, he knew, uh, Orson Welles before, you know, he and Orson Welles were in radio and when they met, they just immediately had this repertoire going, you know, between them. They just got along really well. Mm -hmm. And there's this story about them doing live radio and just getting into a giggling fit (laughs) that they couldn't (laughs) break out of. And so they both got labeled as unreliable. (laughs) They had a hard time getting work. So... Orson Welles started the Mercury Theater Players and started his own radio Mm -hmm. production team. And so they did some stuff on the radio. And then after War of the Worlds happened and took the world by storm, uh, RKO Pictures contacted Welles and said, hey, you want to do a movie? Wanda being Citizen Kane. So that's where this Ah. all came from. Um, He had a good long stay in movies. He was doing weird B-horror movies in the 1970s. Um, He eventually retired after Heaven's Gate. He did Heaven's Gate, which is one of the most epic flops in history. (laughs) I mean, seriously, Heaven's Gate is... It's not that bad of a movie, but it is one of the most catastrophically horrendous (laughs) budget-to-income ratios (laughs) ever seen. Yeah. That's a long career of Joseph Cotton. <laughs> what a career. Mm-hmm. Started with Citizen Kane and ended with Evans Gate. <laughs> oh, that poor man. Yeah. So how much did you love Hume Cronin? Um, I love everything about Hume Cronin, <laughs> and nobody can take that away from me. <laughs> I just, I, I went through so much of that movie, just like, why are you here? I mean, I'm not complaining. Hume Cronin is like, he's my boyfriend on the astral plane. He doesn't know it. <laughs> Nobody knows it, except now all of you listeners. Um, Are you like a bizarro threesome with Jessica Tandy? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. I all like right. that. I'm not opposed yeah. to that at oh, all. That's totally hot. I'm good with that. Um, no, I just, he was so much fun. He's so daft. Like, it just, mm. it's very. Can I, can I. Yeah, kind of delightfully daft, yeah, but he yeah. his his entire delight about <laughs> making up ways to murder his friend. Yes, I want to believe that that's Hitchcock. I I think Hitchcock that that is the the Hitchcock <laughs> simulacrum. Yes, <laughs> in this movie, like Hitchcock takes on the shape of Hume Cronin, just randomly wanders into scenes <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and discusses how to kill people. Yes, yes, I would just. Yeah, that could just happen in like every kind of suspenseful film yeah. and it would be fine. It would. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. More Hume Cronin everywhere. Every, yes. 
Everywhere. All Hume Cronin all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy him so much. <laughs> yeah, he, he, like I said earlier, he this was his first movie. Um, he did Lifeboat, Hitchcock's Lifeboat, about one year later. And then um, a couple years later was uh, Postman Always Rings Twice, which is, of course, where we saw him before oh, on this podcast. Oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> it was so much fun. I can't, I, I can't just... Uh, I could mm. just keep talking about how much I love him. <laughs> it would be a problem. <laughs> the postman always rings twice. It's just such a good role for him. Oh, it's it. Oh. I'm handling it. <laughs> handling it. I'm handling it. I'm handling it. Just remember, <laughs> I'm handling it. <laughs> important, important pro tip. I'm handling it. Yes. <laughs> need that as like a meme just a picture of hume cronin and like an impact font i'm handling it done we can make that happen i think we should that should just be like the splash page that should be the logo for this podcast i'm handling it hume <laughs> yes. cronin <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness watch his face uh. listeners <laughs> uh yeah, for a long time, uh, Hitchcock said this was his favorite film of all the ones that he made. This was his favorite. And Teresa Wright also said this was the favorite film that she ever made, too. And I, I think that may have been just because this this movie just has this kind of perfect balance between the, the wholesome goodness of middle America and the murder underneath. Yes. Which is something that Hitchcock totally loved. To yeah. Do. Yeah, and the cool thing is the um, the dichotomy is addressed by the characters. Yeah. Where young Charlie, you know, has this belief that, no, this is what the world is like. It is full of this, of idyllic places like this and, mm-hmm. and wonderful people. And Uncle Charlie is like, no, the world is full of awful people and many of them deserve to die. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just that, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a very all or nothing for both of them. <laughs> But by the end of it, you can clearly see that young Charlie's like, no, the world is full of bad things, but that doesn't mean that everything's bad. And right. So I, I like, I like that. It's it's addressed very well. I think mm-hmm. it's not like the world is perfect at the end when you vanquish the killer. Yes, exactly. It's just, it's, it's you can't go back right to the way it was. Even though he's gone, it will nothing will ever be quite right again. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting choice in making this movie in actually filming on location in Santa Rosa. Uh, they actually found a house that was kind of run down, you know, like the paint was chipping a little bit mm. and, you know, the the furniture was kind of out of fashion for the time, which is, you know, a hard thing to read these days because we don't have that perspective. But, yeah. You know, kind of intentionally so. So you just saw that this family was just needing a little something. They needed to shake it up a little bit. To shake it up a little bit and to... You know, they they really kind of desire that breeze in of something classier, that being Uncle Charlie, which is really funny because they found the the perfect house and Hitchcock goes, this is beautiful. We found it. We found it. And and they secured the rights with the homeowners to go film in the house. And the homeowners were so excited that they renovated the whole place. Oh, no. (laughs) So, So Hitchcock had to come in with his set dressers and they had to like dirty up a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's funny but it's it's also interesting filming on location there because uh santa rosa was far enough away from hollywood 
that they could um, film there without being under the actors' union. Oh. So a lot of people, I think, I think including the little girl, were just locals oh. in the movie. Wow! So if you if you noticed, some of the extras were a little on the stilted side. <laughs> it's because they were just locals oh, nice. <laughs> that they that they used. So yeah, interesting little movie. So it in in a lot of ways, it was kind of this picture of the real thing, or they were at least trying yeah. to bring Hitchcockian murder into real small town America. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was a beautiful location. Yeah, the the town square area was really neat. I, mm-hmm. You can't you can't make that with a set. No, you, I guess you can, but it's not nearly as much fun. Well, Hollywood has one of those sets, but it's the exact same set that you see in hundreds and hundreds of things. Yes, like every episode of Twilight Zone. <laughs> they were all filmed there. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah, um, that's about all I had. Did you have any final thoughts? Oh, goodness. I just loved it so much. Yay! I know that's like always my final thought. I really loved this movie. (laughs) Well, if we didn't really love them, we wouldn't watch them. (laughs) Maybe someday we'll watch something and I'll go, I hated that. I really hated that. I'm I'm sure we'll eventually get to one. (laughs) I kind of hope we do. I'd love to be critical of something. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that movie. This one, this but not this good. one. This one was excellent. <laughs> if seriously, if you got through this whole thing and you have not seen it yet, please, 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 please go see it. Please, <laughs> please, I'm begging you, please. Yes, if you if you have not already, please go enjoy it. Um, otherwise, uh, next time we will be back yes. with a movie called Kansas City Confidential, which should be very easy for you to find because it is in the public domain. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, though there, some copies are better than others, I will, as with all public domain <laughs> movies. Yes. So if you if you start watching it and you go, oh, this this doesn't look very good, there's another copy of it somewhere that looks better. <laughs> I can assure you. So anyway, um, I have been Melissa, and this has been my co-host Allie, and we will be back in uh, two-ish weeks or so. Yeah, yeah, sounds uh, good. All right, awesome. Yay! We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Thank you for joining us for a real education noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. Please visit our website at r-e-e-l-e-d-u-n-o-i-r.com. Once there, you can comment on our episodes, as well as find links to our feeds on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at r-e-e-l-e-d-u dot com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. You see them in the hotels, the best hotels every day by the thousands. Drinking the money, eating the money, losing the money at bridge, playing all day and all night, smelling of money. Proud of their jewelry, but of nothing else. Horrible. <laughs>